not a small number of people have been curious about Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur this year. Truth is, even this uh, past week, when I went to a very well-known Catholic school to speak at their chapel service on the Jewish High Holy Day, something I do on an annual basis, both the headmaster and the chaplain wanted to know how many people came. To which, uh, to tell you, tell you the truth, there is an answer, but it's really not just one question, I think. After all, in asking the question, it's asking and probing about how far to normal we've managed to get back over these past few months. So first, the data. We've had varying degrees of about 1,400 people who purchase seats in the building each day. In full transparency, I was expecting much fewer. And with greater transparency, I was warmed by seeing how many people actually showed up then in years past, how they showed up earlier, and they stayed later. I don't know what took place in other shuls, but it reflects the strange and remarkable moment that we've lived in to this point. Because it's important to remember that really not very long ago, not long ago at all, that we were still in some form of lockdown. If my memory serves me, we had lockdowns in the late winter of 2022, with the province only lifting the masking restrictions in late March 2022. As human events go, my friends, this is not distant in any way. It is far, far to be seen in our rearview mirrors at all. It's still very much in front of us. Now, some would say, pointing to data, that this virus is far from disappearing from our lives. That, yes, the government is no longer requiring vaccinations or proof of them to board a plane. They're not requiring people to wear a mask on a plane or on public transport at the comments of the American President Biden that the quote, the pandemic is over, were carried widely and believingly. And for the record, I say this to someone who um, just last week on Thursday, I drove to Buffalo to get a booster shot, which wasn't available in Canada. My timing wasn't great because then the next day they announced that it was available. But still, I went for a booster which reminded me of the question that the historian John Barry asked in his book about the Spanish flu. He asked, when exactly did the Spanish flu pandemic end? Now, a hundred years ago, two powerful events collided with humanity. The first was the First World War that laid waste to most of Europe and left for dead more than 20 million people. Then as peace settled and ships and trains and cars moved millions of people around the world back to their homes, the Spanish flu pandemic broke out carried by the millions of people who went on those ships and trains and cars. So think about it. If you managed to survive the war, you stumbled into a plague that in the end would kill two and a half times the casualties from the war itself. Now ours is a world of seven billion people, almost eight. But a hundred years ago, the population of the world was one and a half billion people. Between war and pandemic, the world population, nearly 5% of it was wiped out in just four years. Scale to our time in the succession of four infectious waves over two years in our time, that would be the equivalent of 500 million infections and 50 million dead. 
So when did the Spanish flu pandemic end? The historian Barry said it ended when people decided it was over. To answer the question, this past High Holy Days, we had hundreds and hundreds of people in each of the rooms where the services were being held, well over a thousand people each day in the building, and of all the services, the one with the smallest attendance was the one reserved for masking only. If there were hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people on the sanctuary, there were but dozens in the masking only service. But this isn't the full answer. That answer is knowing that in 2021, for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur last year, that the attendance was a fraction of what it was this year. And unlike last year, this morning, we are gathered, sitting close to each other. We are shaking hands. We are hugging and kissing one another. Many of us, most of us, are not wearing masks. Not because the province isn't requiring it, but because we are choosing not to. So is it over? It sure seems like we've decided it is. And I'm not saying this in a negative way. Gifted and armed as we are with the kinds of scientific interventions that people couldn't have dreamed about 100 years ago, things like Myrna vaccines, therapeutics like Paxlovid, monoclonal antibody treatments, cortisone intubations, our decision-making is not foolish. It's not foolish at all. But if we have decided that this is the end, let us not be foolish to do what we are generally foolish to do. And that is lesson learning. Because our society is very well practiced at getting past things and not stopping to learn even the most rudimentary lessons from what has happened to us. Because we're all about moving on and going over things and not about understanding about what we've been through. Or in the words of the poet Robert Frost, the best way out of something he wrote is to go through it. Not over it, but to go through it. Not ignoring, but seeing where and how we have been in it. The truth is that the ideal of Jewish tradition, we are challenged with two distinct challenges. It is to perceive reality with two different perspectives all at the same time, despite the fact that these two perspectives are directly opposing, diametrical, and in conflict with each other. The first perspective is that we are human beings, and the second, that we are Jews. As humans, our transformative story is that we are creatures of God, that we share this planet and DNA with all other human beings who have lived, are living, or shall live, that we yearn and fear for the same needs as each other. Our story as humans is one that we share with every human being. But as Jews, our transformative story heard over and over again is about our exodus from slavery and the national redemption that ensued from it. We carry this message in our story. And as Jews, we are patriotic, who see ourselves connected to every Jew in the world as family and community and as people. And as our people, the unique challenge placed before the Jew is that we are called to live with both transformative stories with every breath. It is to see myself both particularly and universally as a Jew and as a human being at the same time. And this is the kernel of the challenge. 
And it's not to permit one to diminish the other. Which is to say that concern for people starving in an African country is a Jewish concern, as is concern for oppressed Jewish communities wherever they may be in this world. And I know some will say that there are billions of people in the world who can worry themselves over the lack of food in Africa, but only Jews can and will offer support to other Jews, that we are few and they are many. And while that is true, it does not ease our challenge. We are called to both. And while it is complex and a difficult challenge, we are given tools, both deep and beautiful tools, to accomplish this job. And one of them is on full display for us this week. To understand the symbolism I'm going to share with you, we have to go back in time to the time when the majority of humans drew their wealth directly from the ground. That the work of farming is not a year-long activity, but one that begins at the end of winter and concludes in the fall. It is in the fall when the great harvest would begin. It is no surprise why Thanksgiving happens at that time too. And it is in this great harvest that everything that was planted is taken out of the ground. It is a moment of maximum wealth when six months of effort and planning and caring and praying and hoping are realized. When the food is out of the ground and it is put in your silo, you relax, survey, and account all the great wealth that you have managed to accumulate for yourself. And it is in this precise moment that Jewish tradition, that the Torah asks us to leave our homes, to go and eat and live in a flimsy hut that is exposed to the elements. And long and many are the pages devoted to the reasons for the observance of going into a sukkah. And I'm going to focus on one and only one this morning. Stripped of home, the sukkah reminds us about how frail we each are. Because humans, you and I, are not powerful and we're not mighty. No matter what we have or don't have, no matter what we believe or don't believe, no matter how educated or what our status or talent or beauty is, the one great connection that all human beings share is just how vulnerable each of us are. Our time on this world is brief. Our reach is small. Our dreams are great. But a tiny microscopic virus destroyed our world. The sukkah brings us to the Jewish and human story because it reminds us, stripped of everything, open to the elements, just how profoundly human we each are. Which is something, I think, that COVID has to teach us if we listen carefully. It wasn't all that long ago that we were locked down, our global world suddenly shrunk down to our hallways and our kitchens, that we realized what we miss from each other that presence, smiles, touch, and connection. We each felt the exact same fear as the shadow of infection and death pressed up against us. We had no answers. We heard the stories of a friend or the friend of a friend who had taken ill. Maybe they ended up in the hospital on a respirator, and we felt the fear, God forbid, if it should happen to us. I myself officiated over the funerals of the old and the young who were claimed as its victims. 
And so we can't forget if we have decided to be where we are now. We must not forget how fragile and broken that we were and how for what seemed a very long time that we were empty of answers to what a microscopic virus was doing to our world. I know you want to forget it. I do too, because it's painful. But if we are to be better for it, the sukkah and Jewish tradition has a lesson for the world to think about. It is to look and to linger, to learn and then grow from it. We may decide that this is all over, but I pray that we do not lose what it can teach us. Shabbat shalom. Please rise, page 304.